Stanko rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Out West is Adam Stanko. The going ISO edition today features Lindsey Hunter, 17-year guard in the NBA, a two-time champ, 0-2 at the Lakers, 0-4 at the Pistons, the number 10 overall pick in 93 by the Pistons out of Jackson State. He is currently the head coach at Mississippi Valley State. So, Lindsay, I want to go back to December of 1992 in Hawaii. 48 points against Kansas. What do you remember? <laughs> um, man, I, I remember a lot about that. That was, uh, you know, those were fun times for us. And, and um, I just remember going into the game um, thinking how nobody, no one was talking about us. Everybody was just talking about Kansas playing their next game. And, uh, and our team, you know, we had a really, really good team, but we felt like, well, you know what? We can actually beat these guys. Like we, we weren't really intimidated by them. I think they were ranked number two in the country at the time. And um, you know, and and we came out and and man, we had a great start. I, I had a great start scoring the basketball, the first half, and uh, you know, we were right there. Every we went blow for blow with them every step of the way. And um, you know, I I got it going in the second half also, and then start you know hitting a lot of threes and um we really felt like we had a chance to win, you know, um, but, but it was great for us. It, it really put us, it put us on a, a national stage and, and, you know, uh, put me on a national stage uh, individually because a lot of scouts figured I could play at the next level after that. Yeah. 11 threes dominant performance against Kansas is going to do that for you. Uh, you took 26 <laughs> threes. That's incredible. I had also heard that, Isaiah Thomas, when you become teammates, asked you about that game also. Um, wh what happened there? Well, he was just asking me, you know, uh, going into the game that I think I was as good as the other guards. They had Adonis Jordan and Rex Walters, who were, you know, two of the best guards in the country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was just as good as those guys. You know, I had uh, I had played against some really good players. I I had uh, – you know, that summer I got to work Michael Jordan's basketball camp and, and they had some great college players there. And I got to play against B.J. Armstrong and Kendall Gill and Scottie Pippen and all those guys. And um, I felt like I, be, I, I was just as good as those guys. So um, that confidence took me right into, you know, my senior year. And, and I, I felt like I, I deserved to, um, you know, be mentioned with some of the top guards in the country. And you scored more points than anybody in the country that season. And we've had Rex on before. And I texted Rex this week, said that you were coming on. I said, what do you remember from that 48-point night that he mm -hmm. had on you guys in Hawaii? He said, LOL, we won. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> he had a great night. We won. And I said, I know. I know you won, Rex. I know. <laughs> but what do you remember about the, the 48? And then, and then that was it. It was just that we won. <laughs> but but Rex but but he talked but he talked a lot of trash when he was out on the court. Do you remember going back and forth verbally with any of those guys on the court? No, because I I think because they didn't really know who I was at the time, and and I think I came the first half. I think I had like the first couple of minutes of the game, like the first four or five minutes. I think I had like fourteen or sixteen points really fast, and then and then they realized like okay, they got somebody over here who could score, you know. And um, I, I just remember them putting several different guys on me. And they put the uh, the one kid got drafted. They put on me. He was a wing, like six six, super athletic. 
because um, they wanted to put length on me, you know, to try to run me off the, the, the line. Um, so it wasn't a lot of talking going on during that game because it was a it was a nail biter. Trust me, I think they only beat us by four, maybe mm-hmm. six points, something yeah. like that. But it, that was one of those rare TV games for you guys. So being at Jackson State, a TV game against Kansas, you put up forty eight, and you said it, it you know it got you more so on the map. But how did it change? How did it change your your day to day life when you came back to campus? I, I, I guess it was just like I had become some somewhat of like the face of like black college basketball, you know, mm-hmm. um, everywhere I went, you know, there, there were there were fans, there were people that recognized me. Um, you know, it, it was fun. Actually, it was fun. It was it was fun for Jackson State because we uh, were, were getting, you know, national attention and and, um, you know, we were experiencing something that you know probably the the, the top twenty con- top twenty teams in the experience all the time, you know. So, but we had that, you know, at a HBCU, and, and it was phenomenal for us. You know, we were selling out every night, every game we played. You know, we 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 were getting, you know, uh, thousands of people to come watch us play. And and you know, we had like I think that year we may have had the longest winning streak in the country or something. We 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 were doing a lot of great things and. That team, man, I, I tell people all the time, we end up losing in the conference championship game, but that team probably could have went to the Elite Eight or, wow. or possibly popped into the Final Four. That's how good we were. So much about your career that I, that I want to get into. But, on the, I mean, you mentioned being in an HBCU, having all this success, being super talented. All I've heard recently is this momentum, this groundswell. I mean, it's been over the last few years that the next Fab Five is going to come from an HBCU. It's going to be five freshmen that decide, let's just go take over. And we just got the news today about McCurmaker um, committing to Howard, which is just gigantic. Your thoughts on on that move and then also just how close we are to seeing an influx of elite, talented players from the high school level going to to an HBCU. I think you're, you're, it's not far off because um... – one big thing I think the advantage of playing basketball today, you know, uh, is the social media platform. Um, information is just one, uh, you know, right at your fingertips. So it doesn't matter where you play so much as it used to because people have access to see any game they want to. And, and um, like I tell the kids I recruit, hey, if you're talented enough, the NBA scouts are going to come see you. Trust me. They call me all the time. I have a – you know, bunch of buddies that work in NBA, you know, who uh, constantly are looking for the talent. They they find the, the Damian Lillards. They find the C.J. McCollums. You know, they find the Steph Currys, um, mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard's, and, and Paul George's. You know, those guys weren't college household names, you know. Maybe at the end, Steph was with his uh, tournament runs. But mm-hmm. think about it. He only had one scholarship offer coming out of high school. Right. You know, Damian Lillard wasn't a household name like he is now. Um, C.J. McCollum, <laughs> very few people knew about him. You know, I remember watching him play in, in, in uh, college when I was scouting for, for um, the Phoenix Suns and calling coaches in the league, you know, like, are my eyes deceiving me or am I seeing how good this guy really is? And they were like, no, man, <laughs> he's that good, you know. So so it doesn't really – so playing – you want to go somewhere that fits what you do. 
You want to go to a coach who can help you develop and, and get to that next level. And, and, you know, being with the right coach, you know, at, at, a, at the right school means more than just going to a school for the sake of the school. So then on that note, what is, what's high school basketball like in the state of Mississippi? And how does that impact your odds of, of getting one of those top recruits? You know, we, we were lucky. We got, you know, we got one of the top kids out of Mississippi. Uh, Traylon Smith is, you know, he was a dandy dozen in Mississippi, you know, six, four guard who, in, in my uh, opinion, will, will be a kid by the time he's a junior, will have a chance to be a pro, you know, and, and, and those are the type of things that, you know, when I watch coach Andy Stoglin recruit, um, he may not have gotten like the top, top tier players, but he'd get a kid that was maybe the second or third best player on the team, but potentially could be really good. And he developed them. You know, we had, um, we had two other kids that played on my, my, um, college team that played in the NBA, you know, that, that team that played against Kansas, we had two other guys play in the NBA. So, and, and, and uh, one of the guys wasn't the best player on his high school team, but he was super talented and he developed and he got a chance to play in the NBA. And the other guy was, was a, a underrated kid, kind of under the radar, um, but he developed and, and he became, you know, he was drafted by the Golden State Warriors in the second round. So, those are the things that um, that I really, really uh, that intrigue me about recruiting because I always want to find a kid that everybody else may not think that or may not have time to wait for him to become what he's going to become. Um, but 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 I like that because you know I had a coach that developed me and and um, look what I became. You know nobody thought I would be a lottery pick. So um, that's that's the fascinating and the the most gratifying part about it. And when you can find a kid like I did with uh, Traylon and, and other kids like that, you 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 look and you look at the end result, and if they're successful, then that I feel like I was successful. More from Lindsey Hunter in a moment. Adam, one reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money that then you can use on other important things. And mm-hmm. I don't know, like maybe like food for Hudson, because I hear him crying. So he's he's clearly. He's clearly like, hungry, or maybe listen. Like, you you know this mansion. He's something. like six. He's this mansion, which I only pay for because I always save money using services like Rock Auto provides. But you know, in this mansion, he's like six rooms away, and you can still hear him. I, I just right. want you to know that I'm sure right. he's like, fine on his own. Like you do the podcast in the the east wing of the house. Yes, yes. He is in he is in the west wing, and you've got a it's. But Incredible. I do like the open floor plan there. So why would you choose to spend 30, 50, or 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? So you can just go on rockauto.com, run through the catalog. It's so easy to navigate. Even I can do it. I'm not a car guy. And then you can see all the parts available for your vehicle and then choose the brand specifications and the prices that you prefer. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So just go to rockauto.com. Shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. RockAuto.com right now, and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you write "locked on" in their "How did you hear about us?" box, then mm-hmm. they know what we sent you, and that's just a nice thing to do. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. 
Lindsay, I know in terms of your own success, you've talked about how you always felt like you were on par, not just with the Kansas guards, Adonis Jordan and, and Rex Walters, but also the other elite guards in the country that were that were your contemporary. So Bobby Hurley, uh, the Terry DeHairs of the world, all, all those guys that were that were coming out around that time. I'm curious uh, what your opportunity was like to play on that select team. Uh, the year before your senior year, because all those guys got the chance to do that. Was there um, was there anything there, a potential for you? I didn't. I never heard anything. I, I just knew I got invited to play to to go work the Michael Jordan camp, <laughs> you know, and and that was uh, that was fun for me. Um, I of course I would have loved to to go compete against those guys, um, but you know. Um, it, it it never materialized for me and, and you never know you know you never know how things that turned out there but but they had enough guards and they you know um they picked their select team and and um i still end up you know getting drafted ahead of a lot of those guys well yeah yeah you win in the end in that <laughs> in that regard what about uh, who so who was at the at the jordan camp and what was that experience like oh man it was fun man it was uh sam cassell was there um it was a kid out of Colorado. I think Colorado and Donnie Boyce was there. Mm-hmm. God, it was a lot of kids who were really good college players. Um, and, and you know, we got to play after camp was over with, with Michael and Scotty and all. <laughs> and so that was fascinating for me. And, and, and that really kind of helped me going into my senior year realize that man you you belong like you you can play with these guys and and man that, that confidence took me a long way all right so, so give us your first time on the court with michael jordan experience oh you know i i think watching people on television doesn't do them justice until you get to stand next to them and see and witness and feel what what they can do and and that's when i knew like this dude was from another planet like i it was it was i was in awe like where do they make these type of guys you know it was like that and and man it was fascinating <laughs> because my father was always a michael jordan fan even when michael jordan was drafted to the bulls as a rookie my father never missed a game he come hmm. home from work and i'm like what are you doing daddy he's like oh i'm getting ready to watch mike I'm like, man, this guy watching this kid, he watching this guy all the time. He watched every single Michael Jordan game. And and I just, you know, like it was yesterday, he would he would talk about the game the next day, getting ready to go to work, talking about what Michael Jordan did last night. You know? And, and I had I heard those stories my entire life. He'd go, Oh man, you gotta see Mike what he did last night, man. He went to the basket and he would just go on and on. And to the point where before before um, people were saying how good Mike was, my father was already saying, man, he's the best person I've ever seen. Put on a pair of tennis shoes. He's, I don't care what nobody said, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then when I got to experience it and I called my dad, I was like, dad, he's even better than what you said, you know? <laughs> so it, it, it was something else, man. It was something else. Was Was Jordan displaying the – the legendary Jordan competitiveness during those games? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I remember, you know, we were playing pickup ball one summer in, in, in Chicago and uh, Pete Myers, um, 
was was going back and forth with Mike, and you know Pete always, Pete always trying to you know go at it with anybody. That's just Pete. So Pete was <laughs> getting Mike. Pete was getting Mike all stirred up, and Mike is pissed before the game. And like I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Man, nobody. And yo, Pete's like, man, this is not his gym. He doesn't own this, you know. I'm like, what? And then so right before the game starts, Mike is mad. Pete looks at me and was like, hey, come on, we we got you guard Mike. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, but but you know, it, it's he just had that that extra drive and that extra. You know, something else that, you know, no other player has, has had since then. Did you do you have anything or were you able to get your dad anything of Michael Jordan's, whether from the camp or from oh, yeah, yeah, against yeah. him in the league? Yeah, I brought I brought him a lot of stuff from the camp. You know, they gave us all types of stuff from the camp. So I, my dad had jackets and shoes and all, all sorts of things from the camp. So that was fascinating for yeah. for, for him. You know, he, he was. You know, uh, he was a Jordan fan before anybody, you know. So fast forward to 1993 NBA draft. You go 10th. Allen Houston goes 11th. You Pistons have that 10th pick because of an earlier trade with uh, with Miami for, for John Sally. Um, in addition to just you guys being rookies, which I'm curious about, but four HBCU guys drafted that night. Um, what was what was the discussion amongst your group about what you guys were doing on on that night? It's funny because we never really talked about it like it was, you know. We didn't. I don't think at the time we didn't realize what had happened. You know, um, we just. Mm. I just knew like um, we were we were at the pre-draft camp and um, Alfonso Ford uh, from Mississippi Valley was my roommate you know <laughs> and uh, and we you know of course we'd had many many battles in, in in the conference that and we respected each other so much and he was such a good guy had a real humble spirit um we were just excited to be there man and, and we were talking about um you know because at that time we played at the pre-draft camp so we were just talking about the games and the guys we were playing with and against and um and I also had uh, a kid on my team. Leonard Bennett was on my team from Southern, you know. And and um, so it was it was like I felt good the fact that my peers from my conference, you know, we were all on that level. You know, we were guys that were just as good as everybody else that had gotten invited. And and um, to see you know multiple guys get drafted, man, it was it was, you know, it, it was great. I felt I felt like. You know, finally, you know, our, our our conference is getting respect. HBCUs are getting respect, you know. And um, along with my, my high school teammate was drafted in that same draft, James Robinson from Alabama. So we played oh, Hollywood. I didn't – okay. Yeah. yeah, we were high school yeah. teammates. So so I had a <laughs> lot, a lot going on in that draft that was kind of unique. So correct me if I'm wrong, you did not work out for the Pistons, correct? No. And I didn't think I was going to get drafted by them when they canceled my workout. You know, I had worked out for so many different teams. And when the Pistons canceled my workout, I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to the Lakers at 12. <laughs> you know? So, all right. So take us through then that process of 
when your Pistons workout was scheduled for, when it was, and then when it was canceled, and then what was that Lakers workout like? Well, I had um, I had just came from the Lakers workout, and it was phenomenal. Like, I had a great workout, man. I, I, I talked to Jerry West. Um, I It was by far my best workout. You know, I was amped for that workout, you know, and, and um, just sitting down talking to Jerry West, and as he's talking to me, he's talking about, you know, preparation, um, you know, um, getting me into town after the draft. I'm looking on the wall and I'm seeing, you know, I see Jay West on the wall. I see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I see Magic Johnson. And I'm like in awe, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm about to be a Laker, you know, and it, it was, it was crazy. The emotions I went through then, you know, you go from that to, okay. Uh, I, I knew I had my, my Pistons workout next. And I was like, okay, now I got to go to Detroit. And then uh, on the way home, um, my agent calls and says, uh, well, you know, Pistons canceled. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm not going there, you know, and that was my yeah. thinking. I just thought they had, you know, went in another direction and, and you know, um, uh, and going up into the draft, I, I still felt like that. I felt like uh, I was going to the Lakers. It was a done deal, you know, and, and then um, right up until the point where the cameras came to our table, and my mom was like, the Lake, uh, the Pistons are going to draft you. And I'm looking at my mom like, no, they're not. I'm, I'm not going to the Pistons. They didn't even look me out, you know. And and um, when they called my name, I'm looking. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it it was a pleasant surprise because you know they um, they had a smoke screen and and that nobody saw, you know, and especially me. Did you ever talk to Did you ever talk to Jerry West about what happened that night? If they were taken aback by the Pistons taking you, or if he tried to trade up to get you, did you have any conversations like that? Yeah. So, so rumors start flying around that the Lakers were trying to trade up with um, Milwaukee. They were trying to trade up with Milwaukee to get me, uh, but it never happened. So, you know, I, I, I guess they felt comfortable enough that the Pistons weren't going to take me, mm. you know, but in retrospect, they were like, we should have went ahead and pulled the trigger and made the move, you know? Um, but you know, it's so many different things happen draft night. You never know, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So when you, I've read that your, your welcome to the NBA moment was that there was a fight in practice in your very first week. What, what were the details of that, of that fight? Um, which fight? <laughs> pick one. Yeah, you, yeah, pick you, one. Yeah, that, there were a couple of fights. I don't know if you guys remember. Mm -hmm. There was the fight with the uh, the general manager. Remember that? No. Yeah. Oh, you guys don't remember the Alvin Robinson with know. the general manager fight? No. No. Are you serious? No, I, I have no God, recollection. Tell the story. Guys, you got to look it up. Alvin Robinson jumped on our general manager right in front of us. Over what? What was the... Uh, I, mean, I, remember, was the I remember the fight with Shaq, but I don't remember the, the fight with... Oh, this, he jumped, he grabbed our, our, our uh, general manager because he was hurt. He was hurt. 
and I don't know what was going on with, you know, I was a rookie, so I had no idea what was going on. But evidently he was hurt. He had injured his back and he couldn't practice and he wasn't practicing and whatever. And um, I don't know if he had his own doctors or he, he something had to do with the doctors that he wasn't going to or the team doctors or and the GM must have said something like, I'm going to start docking your pay or something to that extent. And I guess that's what sent him like in a rage. And he grabbed the, the GM and he was melee and people were trying to help get him off and it was crazy it was crazy and i'm sitting there like what the heck is what the nba is about you know <laughs> so that that was like one of the situations as a rookie the 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 second one uh, I, i'm sure you guys heard about the isaiah thomas uh, bill and beer fight but what that but what but what precipitated that well okay we were um you know um we were practicing and i'm on i was on the second team with um Bill and beer, and you know we're Isaiah and I start you know kind of going at it, you know we're going back and forth, scoring and going at each other and and Bill and beer is um steadily hyping it up like you know, uh-huh. investigating the whole thing and and um so it gets to a point where we're I'm coming off running high pick and roll and and Bill and beer you know he says those illegal dirty screens so. So he was setting screens, hitting Isaiah. So I'm like, okay, this is getting out of hand because Isaiah said something to him and we're going back and forth. And Isaiah was like, Lamb, if you hit me again, you know, I'm going to knock you out. And Lambeer's like, man, shut up and play. So Lambeer's calling fist up, which is high pick and roll. I'm calling floppy, which is a totally different play. I'm like, floppy, man, let's stop this, you know. Lambeer wouldn't run floppy. He came up and hit Isaiah. And man, melee broke out. Isaiah turned around swinging, and it was just a big fight, man. And Isaiah ended up breaking his hand in that practice, you know. And we ended practice just like that. And and think about it. Back then, media was allowed to come into practice, so the media was sitting right there, watching the whole thing. Man, so, so I, I, you know, I had a lot to talk to my pops about after practice. Mm-hmm. I bet crazy, right? I bet. My goodness. So, <laughs> so when those when those things happened, was it next day were cool, or did those things carry over? Yeah, it kind of carried over because remember, Bill Lambert retired shortly after that. Yep he he he's like I'm done, and um he he just quit. You know, and and um, Isaiah broke his hand, and you know he played off and on that season. Ended up getting injured. Then our season was like totally lost. It was we were awful, and I, I don't I don't think I ever lost that much in my life. I was like, this is a nightmare. We were losing so much. Um, I think we only won like twenty some odd games that year. The yeah, twenty, <laughs> right? So <laughs> so you got to think we lost sixty two games. I was like, yeah, oh yeah. my god, this is unbelievable. Like you know. Um, and and right, and, you know, and, and I, I remember Sean Elliott didn't want to be in Detroit. <laughs> no, that was another thing. Sean wasn't happy there. He didn't, you know, didn't feel like he fit in, and you know, Sean wasn't used to the cold weather. <laughs> right. Sean would have a, a sweatshirt on in practice, long sleeves, and and one day he had gloves on. Crazy. It was crazy. Message sent. Message sent. I, I'm curious, Lindsay, like 
I know that Isaiah Thomas was was your vet. When you're playing alongside a guy like that, that so many of us grew up just admiring his game and and just how tough he was, what kinds of things do you see on a daily basis the rest of us just weren't privy to? Well, just, just how great of a basketball mind he was, man. I, I he, Isaiah was one of those guys that thought totally out of the box that – um, like the way basketball is played today, he saw that a long time ago, you know, with um, like Isaiah would, you know, he would tell the coach to put Terry Mills in at the five and he would have four guards. in. I remember we played the Lakers once and, and we actually won the game. We, it was me, Isaiah, uh, Joe, Allen, and Terry Mills on the floor at the same time. Hmm. <laughs> And all we did was run high pick and roll with Terry. Terry would pop, and we would play the mismatch. Whoever had the mismatch would would make a play for the other guy, or you would score. And so he was so out of the box thinking, man. And I always remembered that. Like I was like, man. And I learned a lot about how to think out the box and how not to be afraid to do something just because it's different. If you think it'll work, maybe it will, but but you'll never know if you don't try it. And Isaiah has always been that type of thinker, and I. I I think that's uh, so underrated uh, about him as far as like a basketball mind. So Isaiah was the coach, not John Chaney? Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. So did he, I mean, did, did Don Chaney even run a huddle? Yeah, but you know, Isaiah was Isaiah. Like he would, you know, if he felt like saying something, he would, hey, this is what we need to do, you know? But, but, what, what was it like when Doug Collins came in? You know anything about Doug? Doug was like high, especially he was. He wasn't quite as young as he was when he was in Chicago, but he still had that energy. You know what I'm saying? He still had that that hey, let's go, let's let's get after it. You know, and um, for a young team, he was he was pretty good because he got guys. He got us to play at a certain level. You know. Um, and and I, I learned a lot from him. I think Doug is one of the, the greatest minds in basketball when he at the time when he was in it. Um, and and uh, he just you know, I think when when you're when when you got a really you've been around a really smart person that like they were so smart sometimes they were just outsmart themselves. I think that's how Doug was. Oh, super brilliant guy, man. Super brilliant guy. When everything ended with Doug Collins, it got pretty ugly, especially with Grant Hill. And there were a bunch of incidents and all that. So how much of it was a situation that it was good in the beginning and then it wore, his act wore over thin over time? What, what, I guess, what happened there? Um, man, it's hard to say what really happened because I always try to stay out of – because my father always said, hey, stay out of, the, stay out of all the, the, the political crap and just do mm-hmm. what you do. And – it was it was just a lot going on. You would hear things come out in the newspaper, and and you know nobody knew who was doing what, and and it was always something going on, or it was, and and um, you just never knew. And, and I, I just remember when Doug, um, the, the the day they let Doug go, um, he called all of us in the room. We're in Washington, and he was telling us that you know uh, he was being let go, and you know, um. It was crazy because nobody knew what was going on. And we just knew it was like, this is not good. <laughs> you know, it was always something in the papers. It was, it was always someone saying something, you know. Um, 
I don't know. It, 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 it was it was wild. I, I've been through a lot of crazy stuff in my time, and that that the, the beginning of that Detroit thing was crazy. How'd you find out you were traded? Uh, well, you know, Joe at that time, Joe had, had, had taken over, and um, we we actually talked about it. Hmm. You know, yeah, we talked about it, and um, you know, we both felt like out. It was like the time he's going to rebuild, and you know, I didn't want to be part of a rebuild at that time. <laughs> Um, you know, Grant was leaving, and, and it was just time, you know. And uh, he and Joe had always said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm gonna bring you back, you know, when when the time is right, you know. Um, Kept so it, it, yeah, yeah, it worked. It worked. Worked out perfect. The the year you had in Milwaukee, Adam and I both grew up in Philadelphia, and I, I've spoken to the players and coaches from that Bucks team, and. Mm-hmm. They still say we should have been in the finals against against LA that year. We never should have lost to, to Philly and, and the league the league pulled that from us. Did you feel the same way? Well, no, I didn't I didn't feel like the league did. I, I just felt like that um And the and the officials. I mean you always can say that, you know. I, I you know, competitive people always complain when they lose. I'm the same way. <laughs> I always want to win. So when I lose, I, I, you know, I'll blame it on somebody else just for the heck of it. But I know deep down inside, I should have won and been more prepared. That's all it's about. Um, we, um, I, I felt like we had the better team because we were so deep and we had a lot of talented guys. Um, I, I just that that there was a game. Was it game seven? They beat us. Mm-hmm. And and um, I, I just Scott, remember Scott Williams was suspended. Yeah, I just remember Ray having such a great game six. And I and I'm I'm like man, if if he could have another one like that, <laughs> we got a chance, you know. And right. um, I don't think he had he had a good game, but I don't think he had a great game like he had game six. And um, of course, you know they had um Allen Iverson and and. You know, you can only contain him. You couldn't really stop him. Um, and they had some great pieces that did what they needed to do. They they defended really well. Um, and, and they were the better team. I, I really think that. I think we matched up better with the Lakers. Um, but they were they, – they, they just had they, – they did things to us that, you know, we couldn't do, you know. I think they were probably a little better defensive team than we were. Being that's the case, what was it like – I mean, people from the, the outside watch and say, all right, well, especially guys now that that, that that weren't around to watch Iverson play on a daily basis. Like they said, well, this guy was smaller. Yeah, he's athletic. But how come guys couldn't stop him in the league back then? And you think about what that Sixers team, when the offense was all Allen Iverson, could shoot as much. I mean, the ultimate green light. What's it like to guard him? And, and why was he so successful as from a defender's perspective? Well, well, people don't understand how great of an athlete Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson is an elite, elite athlete. <laughs> you know, uh, never got tired. Was fast. Was quick. You know, durable, tough. Um, he just had a innate ability to get in the paint anytime he wanted to, um, and, and he could finish. And if if you know if he hit a couple of threes, then you really were in trouble because you you were in for a long night. It didn't matter. 
Right. You know, he he was just one of those, you know, he's a generational talent, you know. Yeah. Um guy probably barely five ten, you know, but man, this I mean he was just a freak. Just a freak of nature. You know, you, you hear about the stories when he you know, he was an all American football player. So yeah. you know at his size he just had something special. And and um I mean a guy like Adam Iverson could thrive in any era, you know, because of mm-hmm. his, his athletic ability, um, you know, his just everything he had. So the the common debate is best pound for pound guy, and usually when that's the discussion, it's for the little guys. It's always Iverson and then Isaiah Thomas. So you played with Isaiah, you played against Iverson. Isaiah was was your vet. Right. Game seven, who you taking, Iverson or Isaiah? Um, you got to take Isaiah Thomas. Did you see what he did to the Lakers on one yeah, foot? Yeah, I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, and he won two championships, and he was the best player on, on both those teams. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you look at eras and you look at, you know, you say, why did a guy like Isaiah Thomas never win an MVP? Well, look at the era he played in. Look who those guys, look who the other guys were. I mean, he, for Isaiah Thomas to have never gotten an MVP in the NBA is criminal almost. I I, I just, you know, it's hard to, because of the era I think he was in, you know, he got, he was right there with Magic and Bird, so they were dominating for MVPs. Yeah, uh, and um, then Michael came, so you know, yeah, he, he got kind and of he wins back to back, and he wins and he wins back to back titles in the middle of all that. It's just right. it's crazy, it's crazy right. to think how so, successful Isaiah was. Right, so you you gotta say you gotta think he he should have been an MVP one of those years. That's that summer you get traded to the Lakers, and it's a tragic summer for your family with the passing of your brother. How, right. how did you how did you process everything? Get to the Lakers, end up starting the season running the point and doing so very smoothly with Derek Fisher hurt. Um, I mean that that was probably the most difficult time in my career because basketball was like such an afterthought because of what had happened with my little brother and uh, you know just being you know that was my only sibling we were really, really close. Like we were really close. And um, when that happened, it just, it, it, it knocked me on my heels. And um, I was never really the same basketball wise after that. I kind of got a little bit of it back, but it, it just took so much out of me that, um, you know, I, I got, I, that was a year that I got through, you know, I got through the year. I didn't, you know, necessarily, played entire entirely the way that I was capable of um you know and you know of course I'm not making excuses but it was what it was I was you know it, it was just a tough situation for me you know my wife understood it and, and she you know helped me get through it um but you know being an athlete man we 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 try to hold so many things inside and try to right put the facade up like we're tougher than we really are and um, and I was no different, you know. I, I tried to. You know, I, uh, I didn't really want people to know what I was going through or what I was dealing with. So you just try to get through it, and, and you know, I got through it. You know, experienced the championship. You know, um, learned what it took to 
um, win a championship, how how detailed you have to be, how prepared you have to be, and um, you know how sometimes that ball has to bounce your way because certain things you know can happen and and everything goes you know the total opposite. So um, valuable lesson I, I learned from playing with the Lakers. Uh, you know it was just unfortunate that I was going through a tragic time in my life. You know uh, when when I was experiencing all that. So you mentioned your wife being there. And it being such a unique situation, a tough situation for anyone to deal with. But then as you're trying, as you mentioned, to be a, a pro and trying to, to go through the grind on a daily basis, who else who else were you leaning on at that time and, and talking to, to to help you navigate? Well, it, it was uh, definitely my wife and, and, and my parents, you know, um, and, and, you know, they were going through the same thing. You know, they they had just lost a son. So. Um, they were struggling as well, and, and we often talk and try to help each other get through it. You know, um, I always tell people there's nothing you can say to a person who loses a loved one, especially someone who's younger than you. Mm-hmm. Um, not much you can say to comfort them. You just offer your condolences and, you know, try to be there for them if that, that person is close to you. You know, and that's about all you can do, and that's what we were doing for each other as much as we could. Were you ever able to talk to Phil about it? Yeah, I talked to him a little about it, you know. Um, but I, you know, think about it. I didn't know Phil as well as everybody else. That was my first year there, so right. I, I wasn't, I wasn't as open to, you know, discuss a lot of my personal matters with Phil as, as I would be with someone that I have been around more, you know. So on a on a much much lighter note. Can you detail some of Shaq's shenanigans? Oh, man, how many shenanigans? I mean, Shaq, Shaq was, the, was the ultimate big man, uh, kid in a big man's body. Mm-hmm. And Shaq kept everybody laughing, kept everything light. Um, just just a, a character, man. I mean, you can't make this up, some of the stuff I've witnessed. No, I I I witnessed Shaq coming out. I think someone um, dared him to go through the layup line um, with just like a a, a jock strap on, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, I I bet you I do it." Was like, oh, you won't do it. So we're getting ready to practice. He runs out right before we go into three man weave with nothing but a jock strap on. <laughs> And goes through the whole three man weave, <laughs> and, <laughs> and everybody is passing out laughing. <laughs> Are you serious? Phil <laughs> Phil had to laugh. Like it was, it was just, it was hilarious. Did he have sneakers? Yeah, on? yeah, he had sneakers on. <laughs> that makes it funnier stuff. to me for some. Yeah, reason. I agree. I, agree. <laughs> I don't know why, but that just makes it so much funnier. <laughs> Yeah, it was hilarious, man. It was hilarious. Oh my God, we laughed so hard, man. That was funny. How did you? Character, but I mean, earlier you talked about all the the media stuff with Doug Collins. How did you guys, as teammates, or just you personally, handle the media circus around Shaq and Kobe? 
Well, me coming there, I think this was on the third run. So they had went through a lot of the, you know, uh, turbulence those first two years that they wanted. So that third year, I think it was kind of like uh, um, they were pretty much at peace a little bit, you know, because um, mm. I think the previous years when they when they got into a fight in the year and this year it was kind of like, hey, you know, let's focus on winning, you know. Um, so it wasn't as much of a circus as it was the previous years. It, it was actually a little, you know, a little, a little more laid back that year. As far as Kobe goes, it seems like every person we've had on this podcast has their crazy Kobe workout story. The most recent one, Mark Jackson said, first time he met Kobe, they were doing drills and practicing together. Kobe's 12 years old, and afterwards, he was icing his knees because Kobe said that he wanted to have a long career. At 12 years old, he's icing his knees <laughs> and doing this. What? So I know you've got all the maniacal crazy ones. What? What's... What's the best story to exemplify just uh, Kobe's work ethic? Well, of course, playing with him, I, I, I witnessed it firsthand, you know, um, some of the things and how long and, and um, torturous that he would just go at it. But I, I think the best one is when I was actually, when I was with the Bulls um, at the end of my career, um, and, and I, was, I would always get to the arenas early, you know, because I, I would try to beat traffic and all that stuff in Chicago. And the arena was was dark, and I would always walk through the back tunnel in Chicago. And I heard a ball bouncing, and this is like hours before the game. And so I'm I hear the ball bouncing, but I see the lights are, are off, and I'm like, what? Who the heck is out there? So I I walk around, and it's Kobe. All you know, you barely could. I mean, it was enough light to see a little bit, but it wasn't a lot of light, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was full sweat going at it, and I'm like man, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And he was like, I'm, I'm getting ready for the game. And I was like, oh, snap. So I walk, I walk by and I go in the locker room and I tell Pete Myers, I was like, man, we're in trouble tonight. He was like, why? Why do you say that? I said, man, Kobe out there in a full sweat, man. It's like four hours before the game. I said, this dude is going to murder us tonight. Sure enough, they're like 20 in the first quarter. <laughs> <laughs> But that's just that's just man. His, his desire and drive was was crazy. It was crazy. It's I'm just I'm always stunned by by the Kobe stuff. The you guys win the title and you go through the Kings win Game Seven there. I'm curious for you personally. You had already been in an earlier series um, early in your career. You guys lose a Game Five to the Hawks. You just mentioned how you lost. Uh, game seven when you're with the Bucks to the Sixers. What's the difference for teams that, that break through in those critical games? You you have to be so disciplined and, and so prepared because a lot of things in basketball you can't prepare for. Like, think about this. What if Vladi Divac doesn't slap the ball out to Robert Ory? Mm-hmm. <laughs> think about that. Mm-hmm. That small play ended up being monumental in us winning because if that doesn't happen we're really in trouble you know and yep. and and so you know you just have to be so prepared and and you it, even if you're a really good team like um because there there's so many things that could swing the the tide of a game to give the the other team momentum and and you always have to try to be 
you know, prepared for those moments to, to, to counteract it if you can, you know, and, and, and with Shaq and Kobe, you got two of the greatest players to ever, you know, touch the court, but you still needed certain breaks for them to win. And, and, and it's always been the case just about with every team you watch, um, no matter how good they are, something has to happen to give them that break, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And and if you're not prepared to to take advantage of that break, then you know you fall by the wayside. And and um, man, you know we were fortunate enough to 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 the the ball bounced our way, and we were prepared to to capitalize on it. Fast forward a little bit, but but stay with Staples Center when you're now with the Pistons in '04. What was the locker room like after winning Game One of the Finals in '04? Um, man, that, that team was so different. You, you, we, we were a different cast of characters and we were ultra confident. Like it was, it was like another game. Like nobody was like happy. Hmm. <laughs> everybody was like, uh, we were supposed to win. Like what, what, is, what is everybody thinking? Like, um, and, and honestly, before that series started, um, and and you can if you ever talk to Eldon Campbell, you just ask him what we talked about in the uh, we were in the uh, the steam room and and we all were in there talking about sweeping the Lakers. Huh? You know? Sweeping the Lakers. Yeah, that was our conversation before the series started. We just felt like we were that good, like we were so good defensively and we were so deep as a team. We just felt like no matter who we played, eventually we would wear you down because you just couldn't score enough against us. <laughs> You know, we had the Wallace boys back there. We had Tayshawn. You know, it, it was just tough to do. You know, you come off the bench with Eldon Campbell and um, Corliss Williamson and Darvin Ham and Mike James and myself. And, man, that team was full of, of guys that could play. You know, you saw our depth as, as series went on. You saw how deep we were and how effective that, that all of those guys were. How much did everything change with that team – when Rasheed Wallace joined the team? Well, that put us over the top. I think we were really good without him. We became a championship team with him, for sure. Like, there was no doubt in our mind. First day he came um, and, and, and played and the energy and the, the excitement and, and um, we know how talented he is offensively. What people really didn't know about him is, man, he was just as good defensively as, as anything else. He could guard anybody. Like he could guard, um, you know, Kevin Garnett or, or, or Tim Duncan. So when you got two guys back there that are that good defensively, that you don't have to help, it, it, right. it makes your team so much better. Do you remember the first time that you saw the the replay of the Tayshon block of Reggie Miller in Game Two of that year? <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember standing up on the sideline watching it. and just watching when I saw Tayshaun put his head down to take off running because you don't think Tayshaun is being a fast guy but he really quietly he is you know because he covers a lot of ground he's so long and I knew when he started running I was like "Uh oh if he if 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 he doesn't dunk this Tay's gonna block it (laughs) you know as great as the block was the even the, the the better play was Rip Hamilton saving the ball, mm-hmm. you know. So, so we had two tremendous defensive plays right there, and and, and 
secured the win for us. And, uh, you know, but those are the type of things that, man, that that's, you look at defining moments of championship teams, you can go back to every single one of them and find a moment like that. What was the celebration like when you guys um, won the title that year? Oh, the celebration was crazy. Like we, <laughs> nobody went home. We kept our whole families at the arena the whole night. For how many days? Well, the arena that mm-hmm. day, and I mean, the, the, think about it. We celebrated the whole week in Detroit. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was, I, I still sit back and say, man, hi, we got no sleep for a week, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and, and it, it was to, to win it in your city, um, man, it was no better feeling, man. We were getting, I mean, we, we were, you know, you'd go to gas stations and they would give you free gas and you'd go to grocery stores and they would give you free. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And, and, um, and I always tell people, man, there's no other feeling in the world like winning a championship like that in your basketball career. If you're ever blessed enough to, to have that feeling, man, just cherish it. Cause it, it's the, it's the best thing in the world. So you go from this incredible high to then in November of 2004 um, is is Malice at the Palace. Obviously, it's been broken <laughs> down, dissected. And I mean, people have talked from both sides about, about what it meant to them individually. What What is it about that night that hasn't been said about what took place? Yeah, I don't know. There's so many stories that circulated about that malice in the palace i think that the craziest thing was we weren't allowed to leave the arena till like four in the morning so we we had to be locked in our locker room um till like four in the morning we just sat there you know we showered and they wouldn't security wouldn't let us leave what are those Um, discussions what are those discussions like amongst the team when you guys are just sitting there for hours on end after what had just taken place or really we was just everybody was just ready to go home Everybody's like, man, can we go home? I mean, I'm telling you, had you been around that team, you would have laughed every day. That that was one of the most functional, dysfunctional teams I've ever been a part of. We were a bunch of functional, dysfunctional misfits who loved to play basketball, who meshed together, who acted like a bunch of brothers. You know, so it, it was like, who cares about the fight it's over with? Can we please go home? You know, <laughs> so it's almost like the exact opposite of the Pacers situation then, because the Pacers were oh. like dysfunctional, dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> but they, and, and everyone, when you talk, anybody that you talk to associated with the Pacers talks about that as such a dark time, because with the suspensions and everything that went down, just wrecked their franchise for the next couple of years. Um, but but you guys had a totally different experience then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were, it was totally different for us. You know, um, and, and and you got to think about it, you know, we weren't, you know, and I guess it was because our guys weren't going in the stands, you know, fighting people. So it was different for us. And we didn't get, you know, the type of uh, suspension. I've been able to suspend it for a while, but not as long as those guys were, you know. Mm-hmm. So it did have different ramifications for each uh, organization. Do you remember watching the highlights of it? Yeah, I, yeah, I remember watching the highlights and uh, laughing at, um, um, laughing at Rip Hamilton falling over the um, the scores table. That was like, 
that was the funny. That was funny. Um, we're gonna we'll, we'll wrap up shortly. When when you're in Chicago, can you give us a rookie Derrick Rose story? Oh man, that that kid, man. He he was he was one of a kind. Like I. I'd seen a lot of rookies that were phenomenal. You know, I saw Grant Hill and, and you know, and, and some great guys. And when I saw this kid, man, it, he, he, he was proud. I mean, I, I can't remember another point guard being as explosive, as strong, and, 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 and having a great basketball IQ like Derrick Rose was. I, I witnessed stuff in practice that I would turn around and go, did you just see what he did? I, I remember one practice in particular, um, he went to the basket and Joe King Noah was on the opposite team of his and Joe blocked his shot. And, you know, Joe King Noah always had a mouth. So he, he let Derek know. And for the next four minutes of practice, I think Derek was in like hyper space. I was like, yo, this dude is faster than I've ever seen, anybody I've ever seen in my life. He was going up and down the court like, you wouldn't believe, and, and when he finished, I think he ended up dunking, and he looked at Joakim Noah like, what? And I was like, dude, did y'all just witness what we saw? He, he was phenomenal. He, he was, I mean, I, I just, I, I wish he never would have gotten injured, but because, man, what we were about to witness with, with him, mm-hmm. I, 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 who knows how many, you know, MVPs would have won. You know, phenomenal, phenomenal. He single-handedly carried us in the playoffs as a rookie. A few other just quick hits to wrap this up. Just some of these questions are not going to be related to any others. Okay. When you end up as the interim head coach with the Suns, the team had lost 13 of 15. Mm -hmm. You win your first game in Sacramento. Then you win your next game and you beat the Clippers. Are you starting to have ideas of, oh, this this coaching thing? I might never lose. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, we weren't you know we weren't the most talented team in the world. We, yeah. we weren't you know we weren't built to compete just yet. You know, um, I, I just enjoyed the opportunity because that's you know that that's always what I what I've always dreamed about doing after playing is, you know, I, I love coaching. I love being in the gym. I, I don't, you know, I've worked in the front office. I've been a scout. I love doing the, I, I love experiencing those things and I learned a lot, but that's not my calling. I don't want to be in the office. <laughs> I, I want to be on the court coaching and that, and that, I, I, that's where I get the most enjoyment from doing. Um, and, and I really, I learned a lot and I, I felt like um, if given the, 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 the opportunity that I could be successful doing it. You're a finalist for the for the Orlando Magic job the year before mm-hmm. in 2012. Did you think you were going to get it? Um, at the end, I thought I had a great chance to get it because I thought I had impressed, um, you know, Rob Flanagan enough that he, um, you know, trusted the fact that I I I could lead a team. Um, but you know, you, you you never know with those things. You never know how they're going to go. But but I felt like I'd impressed them enough and and that I deserved an opportunity um to to you know uh lead a team but but you know it, it didn't happen and and um 
hey, who knows? Who knows? You, uh, when you're a rookie season, you played in the in the first rookie game. You were the Pistons representative in that game, coached by Doug Collins. Actually scored 11 points, five assists. What's your favorite memory from that from that night? Oh man, it was uh, we had fun. I, me, I, me, Chris Weber, and, and all those guys had fun. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite moments was <laughs> Doug was trying to draw up a play out of a timeout, right? So, so see, Webb was telling me to hey, tell him to run it from the other side. So I was like, all right. So I'm like, Doug, can we run it the other way? He's like, okay, sure, just flip it around. We go out there, man, and turn the ball over. And I looked over at the side. Doug was hot. <laughs> and see Webb is like, man, it's an all-star game, man. We need to be out here. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious, man. It was hilarious. <laughs> what was it like being part of All-Star Weekend? Was there a – then Baker told us once that, like, he never left his room, his first All-Star, and then when he did, he ran into Sinbad, and Sinbad was complimenting him, and Ben Baker's like, I can't believe – Sinbad knows who I am. Did you have did you have a moment like that? I, I mean, it was so I was fascinated all the time. I I just remember it was so because my, my rookie year was in um, Minneapolis, and of course it was freezing outside, yeah, so I didn't want right. to go outside. But it was something going on everywhere. I mean, everywhere, and I I just remember um, I was. They were having some type of like uh, high school something that I was invited to come be a part of. And we were on stage with all these singers and actors and, you know, uh, Fresh Prince was there. And, um, you know, it, it was like, you know, you're looking around like, whoa, all this, the people that you've watched your whole life. Now I'm standing here next to these people, you know, and it, it was it kind of was like an out-of-body experience for you at first, you know? You have to get used to it because you don't want to walk around just with your eyes, like, wide open all day, like, wow, you know? But it, it was fun, man. I, I, I got to meet some of those people and, you know, you people that you watch and you grow up kind of uh, looking up to. And, and um, when you get to meet them and find out that they're they're actually good people, you know, it, it, uh, it it's kind of gratifying. 1992 dream team we mentioned it earlier because the uh connection with the the select team was was with the college players of your era uh obviously it was before you were with the pistons but then you and isaiah get to know each other really well what did he tell you about about the dream team and and his feelings about how things went down or how or whether he should have been on the team or not well you know what he i didn't never really talked about that nobody ever mm-hmm. really talked about that yeah, that I mean, never really talked about it. I mean, everybody always felt like he should have been on the team, of course. Yes. Like, that's no yes. brainer. Um, but, but nobody really ever talked about it, you know? Warriors coaching in 14, 51 and 31, lose game seven to the Clippers. You're one year there. Did you think we'd be talking about the Warriors as we do now at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a matter of time for those guys to become what they are. I mean, you could see, you could see it happening, you know. Um, and, and you realize, you know, with the growth of Steph Curry and and, and Clay Thompson and, and Draymond Green, um, the more you add pieces to those great guys, man, the the better that team is going to be. Um, and and you could see it, you could see it happening, man. I. I 
I just remember, I just loved working with them because they were such humble superstars. You know, they, they, I don't I don't think I've ever um, you know other I think Derrick Rose was similar to Steph where those guys were just they were just dying to learn and dying to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a rarity. And I always tell young guys that I coach now, you know, I've I've got to co- I've I've been able to coach two guys that were MVPs, you know, that were point guards. And and man, and those were the two guys that wanted to learn the most. You know. But Draymond's no Barkley. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much he runs his mouth, he's no Barkley. <laughs> well, they, they talk similar. <laughs> yeah, they do. That is true. <laughs> they both don't make a whole lot of sense. That's for sure. Um, would, would the drill still work? The one that your dad used to do with you with the log strapped to your waist, making you shoot no, it, would that still work today? They have sleds for that now. My dad was okay. behind. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, Lizzie, the last last question for me. Um, as one of the truly great defenders of of your era and of any era, really, what what is one veteran trick you can give us that makes a, a great defender? Uh, da, da, da. Well, my. my... <laughs> There's so much stuff that I used to do defensively. It was so illegal, but um, <laughs> like what? Like what? Well, well, <laughs> well. I would. Um, well, when you get the reputation of being a, a great defender, so now the referee would always give me leeway, right? So I would always get the benefit of the doubt. So I could actually foul you every single play, and they may call like two of them, but after those two, they're not going to call anymore. So I continue to foul him and they get away with it. So I just keep playing aggressive defense. And, I, and, and you know, if, you, if you're a guy that the referees respect, and, and then you have to make it, you know, I always made it look legal too. So I would always adhere to the rules. Whatever the new rules were, I would always say, you know, I would always have a counter for it, like when they took hand checking away. So now I would use my chest. And so people started complaining. Well, he's bumping you with his chest, and I would tell the ref, "No, I'm absorbing the contact. He's coming into me." So you know, uh, you always have to. <laughs> so you always have to have a a counter for the rules, because I, I I swear every time they change the rules, we would be the poster boys for all the rule breaking uh, plays, and and you know. We would sit there and complain. Of course, you know we were the most. We complained about everything. Every call they had a rule they wanted, uh, and they showed up, and we were awful at it. When I was with the Pistons, every time a call went against us, they would show our reaction. Everybody that was on the floor had a reaction. Every all five guys, <laughs> and the, and the rest would go. See, we can't have this guy. And you could see us every time they make a call, one through five, everybody would throw their hands up like, what in the. What? And the rest would be like, yo, that's too much, man. Y'all are ridiculous. But that's, you know, that's how we were, man. What, what, which ball handler would get the most pissed off and the most annoyed with you as you were trying to pull off all this illegal stuff? Man, I think all of them were pissed because I would foul so much. I, <laughs> I used to make D-Wade really mad. I used to piss him off, man. He used to get so mad. I, 
He would he would go over to Pat Riley and be complaining. He's fouling. He's fouling. <laughs> I would be like, I ain't touching. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, the last one. It's the rejecting the screen podcast so we always ask the rejecting the screen question at the end Lindsay. so as you guys all had those conversations in the back of the bus of all right who are you giving the ball to get a bucket it can't be jordan we'll ask you who would you give the ball to of any of your any of your teammates any of your former teammates and and let's since we talked a lot about isaiah let's exclude isaiah from this conversation okay. any of your teammates who would you give the ball to to reject the screen go iso get a bucket <sighs> Man, I'm you know I'm gonna have to go with my guy, Mr. Big Shot. So over D Rose, over Kobe, Chauncey Billups. Uh, now you're gonna I have him second guessing. Now yeah, you're gonna have second guessing. I can't get him over Kobe now. That's <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely go Kobe. You know, you give Kobe right. the ball anywhere. I, that's a no brainer. All right, then that's that's where we'll close things, All Lindsay. Right. We appreciate all the time. Thanks so much for the stories. Best of health to you and your family, your team at the Valley, and I hope things are able to resume with some sort of normalcy in in the near future. Thanks, guys. You guys be safe. I mean, I just assumed it was going to be Derrick Rose or Kobe, and then when he said big shot, (laughs) I guess maybe he just forgot about Kobe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess Kobe's the guy. Or maybe Kobe's in another category. But, but, I, but I will tell you, the kids at, at Mississippi Valley State and being an HBCU are extremely lucky to have Lindsey Hunter, someone with the not just the playing experience, but the coaching experience at the highest level in the NBA, to have him on the sidelines for those guys. I, I really do hope that he's able to elevate that program and elevate HBCUs as a whole. Absolutely. And and look, we, we talked about it early on in the podcast about how there's been a shift and there feels like a social movement about how huge it would be if some of the elite high school players in the country were to were to go to an HBCU. And and the thing is, you got a guy like Lindsey Hunter, as you talk about not only the coaching experience, there's front office experience there with the Suns as well. He alluded to it in his time under Lance Blanks. And he's a guy who understands the league, understands what it takes to be successful in the league, understands what it takes to be an HBCU guy who then goes mm-hmm. on to have success in the league. So uh, just a great role model, I think, for for a lot of kids out there looking for their their decision. It'd be really cool to see him um, have, have success. I, I, he's always won. There's no reason to think he won't uh, coaching at the college level. Yeah, part of that 1993 draft, which is famous for – Weber and Penny and Sean mm-hmm. Bradley, but the the three guys that played the most games, no one played more years than Lindsey Hunter from that draft. Only Sam Cassell played more games in that draft than Lindsey Hunter. And then third was Nick Van Axel. All right, make sure you check out everything going on on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA, Hollinger and Duncan every Monday, Locked on Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, all things NBA draft, and your team every day on the Locked on Podcast Network. We're on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen, although Adam's daughter Avery is already neglecting her duties. Yeah. I need to have the conversation with her since she clearly does not respect your authority. Adam is on Twitter at – what's that? She's grounded. Adam is on – For not doing Instagram. Aren't all – aren't – isn't isn't this whole country grounded at this point? 
that's, I don't think that's going to work. That's a good Adam's idea. on Twitter at Naismith Lives. I'm at Noah Koslov, C-O-S-L-O-V. And make sure you go back and listen to all the going ISO editions of the Rejecting the Screen podcast. You can listen to them anytime and enjoy all the entertaining stories that we've had over the course of nearly a year. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.